This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Uh, brought to you by XS Sites. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, 2021, as of the recording of the show. And I'm your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and producer extraordinaire, Matthew Marister. What's up, man? Hey, dude. <laughs> ready to do this today? Yeah, yeah. I know, I know you're a busy man and you got things going on, but you made some time to, to get on here and do the podcast, so that's cool. Yeah, we got to do the thing, you know? Yeah. Today's uh, podcast sponsored by Excess Sites. Excesssites.com is where to find them. We've talked about them a few times in the last few weeks, so I don't want to do uh, uh, another long sponsor message here today, but just know that I think they're some of the best sites, period. So check them out. Check out the F8 Night sites that I'm a huge fan of. Check out the new R3D sites if you uh, prefer a little bit of a different site picture some of you like the big dots they're not my favorite but i think they're you know they they serve a purpose matthew likes them uh so there's something that's the cool thing though there's something for everybody at excess sites they got sites for shotguns revolvers semi-automatics all kinds of different uh product options so uh, and made in the usa made right in their facility in texas including the tritium that is used in their night sites that is all assembled right there in their in their uh, production facility good crew down there great people they may i think they're going to be i think they're going to be on site at the guardian conference uh we'll have a number of vendors on site throughout the weekend with vendor booths and, and that kind of thing so you'll be able to see product handle product demo product it'll be a great time anyway check out excesssites.com to learn more about excess sites also, today's podcast sponsored by CCW Safe. CCWSafe.com, of course, is the website where you can find them. And podcast listeners save 10% by using the coupon code CCPodcast, CCPODCAST. Guardian Nation members save 20%, so double that. Yeah, so guys, uh, I've been, uh, in fact, just renewed my CCW Safe membership. Uh, this like last week or so ago. So proud to be a CCW Safe Ultimate member. Uh, but even their Defender and Protector plans are worth a serious look if you're looking for a cost-effective solution that gets you huge coverage in the event that you need uh, legal advice and legal coverage, legal representation after an incident involving a gun or weapon. Because actually, it's not limited to just guns. Uh, and that's the thing. If you are involved in some kind of self-defense incident, especially where force is used, you need legal representation. You need legal advice. So check out CCW Safe and consider joining today because they will be there to back you up if and when that day occurs, which I hope is never. But that's the thing. We carry guns, hoping we never have to use them as well, right? Speaking of guns, today is our legislative updates episode. we got a lot of stories to cover from across the country, a lot of uh, changes recently for some states uh, with regards to reciprocity and open carry and a few other things. So 
buckle up, hold on to your seats, and uh, let's let's get going here. All right, Matthew. First up, I, I slid this. Uh, it's not really a story, uh, but there is a link in the show notes, guys, uh, to Firearms Policy, the Firearms Policy Coalition. Their their website's actually firearmspolicy.org. I did that because uh, it's. I think one of the simplest ways that I can encourage you to get involved in some of these current issues um, that are coming up with some major deadlines here in the relatively near future. Uh, What I'm referring to is that coming up here on August 19th, that's what, like tomorrow, that is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So some of you listening to the, to the published uh, audio podcast only, you're going to, by the time this is published, it'll probably be past that point. Uh, past the 19th of August. Um, but there's another important deadline I'll cover here in just a moment. But tomorrow is the last day to submit comments, public comment on the ATF's proposed ruling regarding the definition of a frame or receiver and identification of firearms as it's referred to. This is really, really, really important, guys, because the ATF, what they are proposing is a major change in the way that firearms are defined. Okay, that that firearm definition is based around the idea of a of a firearm receiver or frame. Okay, which is the part that has to be by law serialized and recorded. And they want to change that to open up what the definition of a firearm is is in a big way meaning that all of a sudden, all kinds of things could be classified as firearms. Changing the definition of firearm changes your possession and legality of being able to possess certain things potentially as well. And will mean that certain things will have to go through a background check to purchase that up to now are just considered to be firearm parts. At least that's the potential that, that, that this proposed ruling has. This is a really, really important thing that we let the ATF know and the Biden administration know that we are not okay with this revised definition of firearm. Here's the thing. That type of thing is usually reserved for Congress to write into law. Okay. Their ATF is, is writing a fine line here of trying to, they're, they're asserting themselves in, 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 how they interpret what Congress established in law decades ago. This is huge. I, I, I am asking and imploring upon you to go and leave public comment. Be respectful. Be intelligent in how you do this. Explain the issue. Read about the issue some more if you don't understand it very clearly so that you can respond intelligently in providing your public comment. Here's the thing. In a big way, this will affect for sure the ability to 3D print firearms or build uh, home-built firearms, like your polymer 80 kits, most likely be affected by this. That's the intent here. That's how they are trying to get around current law so they can outlaw ghost guns, essentially, which Biden has made clear is, is a, uh, one of his initiatives. But they're doing so in what I consider to be an illegal manner. So, uh, guys, here's the thing. Go to firearmspolicy.org. When you land on their homepage, scroll down a little bit. 
you'll see a, a bar okay, across the center of the page, a section that has three steps, basically. It's three action steps. One says join. They're basically asking, hey, join, join Firearms Policy Coalition. I would certainly encourage you to do that if you wish to do so. I'm not saying you got to, uh, but I think they are a, a, worth, a worthy organization doing amazing work fighting for Second Amendment rights. Number two, and this is the big one. If you click on the number two step, it says act. Take two minutes to add your voice to, to specific Second Amendment action items. Click on that, and you'll see all these issues, tons of issues. In fact, it will shock you how many things pending are out there regarding laws and rulings that the anti-gun left, sorry, left, right, whatever, that the anti-gunners are wanting to, 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 to put into effect, to restrict Second Amendment rights further, all right? So anyway, um, the other big deadline coming up is the ATFs proposed a rule on how they define, or the actually, what they, this is what they call the factoring criteria for firearms with attached stabilizing braces. So those stabilizing braces that you've had for years now, uh, that allowed you to run a shorter barrel on a carbine rifle or that kind of thing, yeah, they're trying to make that illegal now too. So, uh, or at least provide criteria that essentially makes stabilizing braces as we know them illegal. So that that is a, also a big, big issue. And the, the deadline on that, I think, is September 9th. So two very important issues that need public comment. The more people that comment intelligently, respectfully, more likely folks at ATF will go, ooh, maybe we don't want to push this issue. So anyway, firearmspolicy.org. In fact, if you want to go to firearmspolicy.org forward slash act, A-C-T, that's a direct link to the page where there's all these different actions, uh, these public comments and things that you can get involved with. So, moving on, I'll, I'll go ahead and cover this next story, Matthew, since this is kind of near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Um, we, we, we mentioned this in an episode not too long ago about how Jefferson County Parks and Recreation District, that's, I live in Jefferson County, Colorado. So, this is a Colorado issue, a Jefferson County specific issue. The Parks and Rec Department, we're talking about instituting okay, a ban on concealed carry of firearms in what we call Foothills Parks uh, and Facilities. That's, it's Jefferson County, but it's Foothills Parks and Rec. That, like The parks that my kids go to and play in are run by Foothills Parks and Rec Department. They wanted, they wanted to institute a ban on concealed carry of firearms. This, they were emboldened to do so because recently, this year, earlier this year, this, the, the legislature and the governor signed and passed a bill, Senate Bill 21-256. By the way, this was done kind of quietly. Didn't even hardly hit on the radar. Nobody was really even paying attention. And I hate this kind of crap. Um, but this, this, this bill opened up the door to permit things like parks um, departments and other jurisdictions in the state to ban firearms, including concealed carry, uh, from 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 their facilities. Fortunately, there was a lot of people that complained about this. Even the local sheriff, our Jefferson County sheriff, said this is this is not you know cool. Uh, I sent an email 
to the, the, the board of directors of the parks uh, district saying, I oppose any action taken on this. Uh, fortunately, there was a bunch of other people that did so as well. And quickly, the parks and rec district decided to withdraw this uh, this initiative. So that is why it is so important that we voice our our opinions and our feelings and thoughts on these things to let people in, in charge know that, hey, there are people that care about this and will put up a fight for this. So, yeah, glad to see that that got overturned. Yeah, definitely. And the, the crazy thing about it is I wasn't really familiar with that law either. And I'm not in Colorado like you are, but um, the wording of the law is even kind of suspect. It says, you know, they, they were, you know, claiming that this is giving uh, by allowing local jurisdictions to kind of write their own gun laws. They're giving them, you know, autonomy from being controlled by the state. But but the the wording of the law says that the law must be any any local law must be more restrictive than the state. It can't be less restrictive. So right. they're not actually yeah. giving the local jurisdictions autonomy. They're saying we want you to have more. You know, we we uh, are not going to allow you to have l- more lenient laws. Or, or, or laws of- yeah. So it's it's kind of, it's crazy. I I can't believe even with. Colorado's uh, preemption law that this kind of stuff happens. So, but. so that's the thing. The whole preemption law that's existed for a long time now, that, that all is, that's basically garbage now at this point yeah. because we had a Supreme Court ruling that basically made the preemption law null and void. Uh, and that gave the, le- the current legislature and the governor the, um, the ammunition, if you will, <laughs> nice pun there, to like they they're like hey th- we feel like we can push this law now that go that flies in the face of preemption like completely goes opposite to it and uh so that is emboldening local jurisdictions now to pass more restrictive laws the whole reason we had the preemption statute in the first place and the whole reason many states have preemption statutes is because we're dealing with a second amendment issue that gets incredibly difficult for people to navigate both literally in terms of driving, you know, and passing through different jurisdictions in within their own state, but also legally, right? Like being able to navigate through all the differences in laws from this jurisdiction to that jurisdiction to that jurisdiction, it creates problems, especially in large metros like in the Denver metro area where we have multiple counties in the metropolitan area, multiple dozens of cities. And they could all have, at this point, different, more restrictive laws than state laws and might be difficult for people to understand. Like, you don't realize you drive a few miles south of my house, you actually cross this little thin sliver of Denver that, like, it's it's a weird little thing. Like, Denver is generally this block, but then there's this little finger that they annexed in years ago that goes out way into Jefferson County, where I am. And, like, I drive across that all the time. So if Denver passes some, well, they already have some more restrictive laws than, than we do here where I live, but I'm at least aware of those. But you start doing that with Arvada, Wheat Ridge, Jefferson County, you know, Arapahoe County, different parks and rec districts and all these different, like, oh man, like, anyway, there's a reason for preemption laws to exist and ours has been thrown in the trash. Mm-hmm. 
Now you got me fired up and I went off on a bit of a tangent. <laughs> so let's get back to the news. We got to move along. We have a bunch of stories still to cover. NRAILA.org reports gun control and the elastic meaning of transfer. Colorado court moves a needle. I could obviously talk about this one too, but I, I've been talking long enough, so I'm, i got to <laughs> hand it off to you at this point. All right. Well, basically, you know, um, there's a big push for um, universal background checks and, you know, on every sale of a firearm, right? That's kind of how it's it's worded in, in popular lingo is, hey, any sale um, of a gun, common sense, there should be a background check. Um, that means, you know, uh, a NICS check goes through it, uh, FFL. And, um, but the, the issue is, is the definition of what a sale is and how the courts interpret the definition of what a sale is. And this is, um, the issue is, is it's, it's spilling over into, transfers, right? And what is a transfer? You know, um, is a transfer or sale, you know, somebody coming to a concealed carry class or, you know, they don't have a firearm and I say, don't worry, I'll let you borrow one of my instructor provided firearms. You know, I, I give them my firearm, you know, and shoot this. Is that a transfer? Well, in certain um, legal interpretations, that's a transfer. So that, that me giving somebody a gun on a gun range would fall under um, a transfer. And I would basically be breaking the law by doing that. So um, a recent uh, court ruling in Colorado dealing uh, the cases, people versus Johnson, and it deals with a woman who um, has, is not prohibited by law from uh, owning or possessing a firearm goes to a pawn shop with her, um, her common law husband who is, um, a felon and cannot possess a firearm. Uh, she purchases a firearm there for her protection and the protection of her home. Um, the, the husband, unfortunately is restrained party and restraining order and prohibited from being in the property. That's kind of a separate issue, but he actually lives in this apartment with, with the woman. And this is how this all unravels is she has a firearm that she admits that she bought for her safety and the safety uh, protection of her home um, and was not purchasing it for her, the, the husband, right? The, the, the man who is um, prohibited from owning it. Uh, the the man eventually is seen by the landlord on the property, and he it's known to him that he is prohibited from being there because of restraining order, and calls the police. The police arrive, they take him into custody, and he's found in possession of her firearm. He admits that he took the firearm when she was not there. She didn't give the firearm to him. She didn't buy it with the intention of sharing it or giving it to him. But the fact that he had access to it and had it in his property. Property in, in his possession, um, that transfer by her purchasing the gun and him having possession of it was considered and ruled a transfer um, as far as the, the law that deals with straw purchases. So she was found guilty of, uh, of a felony, um, basically 
committing a straw purchase and allowing this this person who was prohibited uh, transferred a firearm to him. And this is why these laws that give these ambiguous terms of sale and transfer, um, if they're not defined, then the court interprets them. And if you get an interpretation like this, it has far reaching implications. Oh, big time for sure. You know, I, I don't agree with what this woman has been charged with or was charged with. Obviously, that's why she's fighting this uh, this appeals uh, court case. Um, like so, this this issue where you have a a couple, a spouse, whatever, right, a household where a member of that household is a felon and another member is not, and so that non felon member of a household or family or couple uh, uh, purchases a purchases a firearm, which legally they are allowed to do. Uh, there's no you know prohibition against them owning a gun. They're not a felon. They haven't broken any laws or whatever, right? But they reside in the same household as somebody who is a felon. That's always been a legally sticky situation for uh, for households that you know are in that boat uh, or in that uh, classification, if you will. Uh, here's the thing: like you know that the person you're dating, living with, married to, whatever, is a felon and you buy a gun or own a gun already and you get together or whatever, like you, you should, I'm sorry, like on one hand, she opened the door for this to even become an issue in the first place. It, the responsible thing to do, because it's responsible in, in a general sense, which is any of us that are gun owners, we should have responsible means of securing those firearms. We've talked about how even if you are a single dude living as a hermit in, in your own house and like nobody else is there and never, nobody ever visits there, comes in there, whatever, like you should still lock your guns up. Like keep them in a safe. Why? Because I mean, I'm not saying you have to, I'm not saying you're legally obligated to, I'm just saying it's a responsible thing to do because guns get stolen. Your house can get broken into and then your gun gets stolen. So because it's not secure or whatever, right? Like that's just one reason to, you know, one thing to keep in mind. And then, of course, we could talk about the safety and children issue, uh, but this is a whole other thing, you know, where you have other individuals inside the home that legally cannot possess or have access to the firearms. In this case, she had it like in her closet. She, mm -hmm. she claims that she didn't really know that he knew where it was, um, but obviously he was able to find it because this man was caught with it uh, and, and used it. So, um, yeah, you know, again, I don't necessarily agree with how she's because. That, that's what the issue is at hand here, is what constitutes a transfer. And this is an important legal term to define in, in the state of Colorado because we require uni so-called universal background checks in this state, deeming a, meaning that a transfer requires a background check. So what is, in fact, a transfer? That's what's at issue here. That's what needs to be defined. And why universal background check laws with clauses such as, you know, all firearm transfers require a background check, which is basically what a universal background check is meant to be, are, it's problematic, right? So another story here out of Washington State, not going to go into a ton of detail on this, uh, but the link's in the show notes of today's episode. So you can go pull it up as you can do with any of these stories and read up on them. But uh, in Washington State, like around the same time Colorado passed our universal background check law, the next year Washington state passed something similar. That's referred to as I-594. 
the, the, the specific law. It's, it was done. This one was done by initiative in the state, not necessarily by a legislature and a governor signing and passing it into law. But uh, the, something that people argued then in Washington State when this was being promoted as an as an initiative, and they're trying to get everybody to vote for it. They, you know, there were people that expressed concerns that this could open some legal challenges or create some legal challenges for people that go hunting. And like, it's not, and I mean, there's a lot of different situations where this could become sticky. You know, it's like, I don't know, like I've had friends in the last few years, like, Hey, could I borrow a gun? I would like, you know, can I borrow your hunting rifle? Like I'd like to go hunting. You know, I actually had a friend contact me and said, I, I want to fly. I want to travel to Colorado. Cause Colorado is world famous for elk hunting. I want to travel to Colorado and hunt. I'm like, that's awesome. And basically they were asking if, if they'd be able to borrow a rifle for me to do that. So they didn't have to deal with flying here with a gun and ammo and all that. And I was like, well, we can, but we have to go to the dealer, do a background check and all this stuff for, for that to be possible. I can't lend it to you per the law. What? Really? Yeah. Yes, really. Because we passed a law that doesn't permit that. It doesn't permit a transfer like that. That's essentially, so people in Washington state were told this would not create issues for hunters in Washington state. That's exactly what it's done. You can read all about the issue in the, in the uh, linked article on thegunmag.com. And uh, interesting stuff to understand uh, as far as an issue is concerned and know these things and be looking for these things. Cause I promise you more, the anti-gunners want to have universal background checks. Our media constantly, I see, I saw it just this last week, 90% of Americans or 94% of Americans support universal background checks. First of all, I always question those numbers, but second of all, that's concerning. And it's concerning because you have the media on board promoting such narratives and trying to make it a, you know, it's, it's an appeal to the general public to say, hey, look, this is palatable. This sounds good. People want it. This is the cool kids bus. You want to get on this bus. But it will create problems that you never imagined could happen if we have a, tr a true uni uh, nationwide universal background check law in place like they want us to do. Anyway, kind of keep moving along here. Matthew. Tell us about this Cato Institute, Cato.org uh, uh, story, uh, Gun Owners of America versus Garland. Uh, just give us kind of the overview of what this one uh, uh, deals with, the, the, main, the key issues, and, and what people can know from this. Yeah, quick quick uh, overview. Gun Owners of America versus Garland has to deal is dealing with um, the bump stock definition or bump stock um, ban that occurred in 2018 after the 2017 shooting in Las Vegas. Um, and in 2018, if you recall, um, the ATF redefined a bump, uh, a bump stock as um, falling under uh, or defined as a machine gun. So when that happened, um, it obviously became illegal to purchase or to own. Um, and so what ended up happening were several lawsuits that went back and forth um, saying that the ATF um, cannot legislate, um, create a law that is punitive, a criminal law where 
basically Congress hasn't given them that authority or hasn't, um, uh, you know, basically written a law. Um, and so the, 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 a, an organization like that, uh, cannot create a law, which basically they did by, um, redefining what a bump stock is. So there were, uh, some appeals that were, um, that were ruled favorably on the, on the fact that, or on the side of, uh, that the ATF can't do that. Um, but then there's a six court, uh, ruling that agreed, um, to rehear the case. And so once it went back and forth, uh, the sixth court said, okay, we're going to hear the full case. The full court is going to hear the case, not just an en banc panel. And, um, and now that's kind of where this, uh, GOA gun owners of America versus Garland, um, dealing with, uh, with this whole bump stock issue. Again, another important issue. Now, I know a lot mm-hmm. of people may not care uh, personally about bump stocks because there's argue. I mean, it's not a, a lot. A lot of people own them or owned them, and you know, people I know owned them. Uh, and I, I mean, I even considered buying one at one point. It's like, oh, it might, might be kind of fun to just play around with, and that's really what it is. I mean, it, for me, it's. There's a bump stock serves no practical purpose. Uh, it's more just for fun and entertainment to have simulated full auto fire. Uh, and that is what it is. But that's that's the danger, though, of ATF reclassifying things like this, just like what they want to do with pistol braces. So that's why this case is a harbinger, mm-hmm. okay, a warning of what can happen with respect to pistol braces. That's why we need to be so concerned about that issue. That's what the ATF is trying to do is reclassify pistol braces, require us to you know, meet all these nearly impossible to comply with uh, uh, criteria if you want to possess a pistol brace, something that has been much more widely used by Americans. I mean, the pistol brace has become like how many videos do I see nowadays that where, like, I just was, what was I watching the other day? Um, oh man, I was watching something the other day, and you know, it was, it was just, just a, you know, a kind of an instructional video. I can't remember which channel it was on now. And, and the, and the guy, you know, was running a, a short, shorter barrel AR with a pistol brace. I mean, it's just be kind of, kind of become the norm, uh, universally accepted amongst gun owners. I mean, so it, this is a very important issue that will affect millions of gun owners. The bump stocks didn't affect nearly as many people, but it was still in and of itself a big issue. And it was just the precursor to a pistol brace ban. So follow this Garland case. Uh, we will be, uh, you know, we'll try to update you too as, as this, you know, goes through the uh, process of being reviewed by the full court, uh, the sixth district court. Uh, so stay tuned for more updates from gun owners of America versus Garland. All right. On. All right. Um, we actually have uh, bill who is visiting South Carolina in the YouTube comments, commenting about his, his disappointment that there's no reciprocity with his home state. Uh, so that he's unable to carry concealed in South Carolina while he's visiting there. I can, I, I was actually in South Carolina just a few months ago myself. 
uh, visiting a friend as part of a, of a trip that I was doing uh, down, to, down to that region. I spent most of my time in North Carolina where I did have reciprocity, but I didn't have reciprocity in South Carolina. Because guess what? South Carolina doesn't have reciprocity with a lot of states <laughs> that you would expect it to. South Carolina is the redheaded stepchild of the South when it comes to gun laws. Because almost every other South Southern state you know, it's pretty like, oh, whatever. Oh, you want to have reciprocity? Cool, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> but South Carolina, it's just a little bit weird with some of their laws. And one of the few Southern states that didn't have open carry until recently. Mm-hmm. So that's what this next story is all about, is to update you on recent legal changes in South Carolina regarding open carry. Governor Henry McMaster signed Bill 3094 into law Back on May 17th, uh, it has recently gone into effect. Uh, in fact, that was just a few days ago. August 15th, it went into effect. There's a, a few important things that you should know about open carry in South Carolina. So first of all, open carry is not available for just anybody, any legal person in South Carolina. It's only available for legal residents with a valid South Carolina concealed carry license. So similar to how Texas did it until recently, before Texas passed their uh, constitutional carry. Um, and there's a couple other states that are, sim- you know, that kind of do a similar thing where open carry is legal, but if you have a concealed carry permit or license to do so. So that's the same here in South Carolina. So open carry, cool. It's now a thing in South Carolina. Not so cool requires a permit. Not so cool requires a South Carolina permit. Mm-hmm. So non-residents cannot carry openly in South Carolina. Also, the law does not take away private or public business owners' rights to prohibit firearms on the property or open carry or whatever. So uh, it does say that uh, the, the, the law says that they must post signs indicating they do not allow firearms on their property. Uh, those are the two big things. So I wanted to make you aware of that. The big one is like, I don't want people to hear, hey, open carry in South Carolina. I could just carry openly since I can't carry concealed. No, that's not true either. So, so just watch out for that. I mean, bravo, thumbs up to South Carolina for passing a law that permitted finally open carry to be a thing. Uh, it's one step. It didn't go quite far enough, but it's a step in the right direction. And so we got to recognize and applaud those things and hope it creates momentum for additional pro two way changes in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's it's sort of the same thing. Like I, I hear a lot of people say, "Well, open carry is stupid, so what does it matter if there's open carry or not?" And it's it's kind of like the same argument about like bump stocks. It's not so much about open carry whether it's tactically good idea or bad. It's it's the, the it's the the principle behind it, right? So. Yep. Okay, moving on to now. A story on, uh, by the way, that last story was from concealedcarry.com, and this next one's from concealedcarry.com. This one regarding North Dakota important changes to North Dakota gun laws go into effect. Matthew, you wrote this uh, article. So, uh, highlight for us what are the North Dakota changes? Yeah, so um, it's not really going to change um, people with North Dakota permits, it's just permits that no- North Dakota re- recognizes. Um, so, 
Um, they're only recognizing permits from the states with the current reciprocity agreement in place. And I list uh, all the all the states in there. You can check out the the article. Um, there's probably I think 15, 18 states that they still have reciprocity. Um, and the self defense law, House Bill fourteen ninety eight, is um, is the big thing. And that enacted stand your ground in North Dakota. So North Dakota now has stand your ground, um, self-defense law, which is fantastic. Right. And, um, removing the, the, the duty to retreat. So if you're in North Dakota with a North Dakota permit, the only thing that really affects you is stand your ground law. But if you, um, North Dakota changed some of the reciprocity agreements with other States. So check your permit, make sure that if, you know, if you had North Dakota reciprocity before, just confirm that you still do. Yep. Good. All right. Um, thanks for uh, covering those changes in North Dakota for us. Again, moving right along, we're going now to Mississippi. Another article uh, on uh, concealcarry.com. Our, you know, by the way, I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but uh, for a long time we've had sub-sites, state sub-sites uh, for every state of the United States, meaning that, you know, I mentioned this in case you didn't know this already. If you want localized news and information for your state where you reside, all you got to do is put in your state name, then a period, and concealedcarry.com after it. So on mississippi.concealedcarry.com, uh, this was published uh, a week or two ago, again, by our illustrious, well-writing <laughs> Matt Meritor. Uh August 1st, 2021, Mississippi Enhanced Concealed Handgun Permit honored in Nevada. Uh, so I, that's, you know, pretty much the gist of this one. It's just letting you guys know about this change. Nevada is also another one of those states that historically, you know, is is a, is a pretty freedom-loving state. They, they kind of swing here and there sometimes on various issues, politically speaking. With gun laws and, you know, relatively recent history, that, that, I don't know, they, they do some things there that are maybe surprising to, to, to some folks, kind of like South Carolina. Um, probably a little influence carrying in over from uh, California, you know, they're right there on the border. But anyway... So as of uh, August 1st, 2021, Nevada started honoring the Mississippi Enhanced Concealed Carry License. So this is not the regular Mississippi permit. This is the enhanced one. And there's a handful of states now that have uh, enhanced permits. And so that creates an interesting situation where we have some states that previously didn't honor permits from a particular state. But now they'll honor, like in this case, an enhanced permit from that particular state. Uh, just something to be aware of. And uh, it might be one reason why you may want to consider getting an enhanced permit in your state if your state offers it so that you can have increased reciprocity. Uh, so the enhanced permit in, this, in Mississippi, as it does in many in most other states that have similar permits, uh, enhanced permits, it does require additional firearm training. So just be aware of that. You got to go through a, a, an enhanced permit class, essentially. And there's going to be more live fire involved typically in those classes. So just a heads up there, but Hey, at least it's another option again for some Mississippi residents that traveled to Nevada to be able to carry concealed there. 
One another story from concealedcarry.com. Louisiana constitutional carry dead after three Republicans agree with veto. I'm just going to cover this really quick because we we kind of we pretty much previewed this a, a couple weeks ago. We saw this coming. Uh, we knew this was going to be the end result of it. Uh, so this is this is just the official like yep for sure you know this the constitutional carry bill that did initially pass both houses in the uh, Louisiana legislature got vetoed by the governor, uh, but uh, they could not quite overcome that veto. And that's partly because three Republicans that voted for the bill went ahead and switched sides, essentially, to not vote in favor of of passing the bill by overcoming the veto. Uh, for those of you that may be interested, who are those three that flip-flopped on this issue, that supported the bill initially, but then elected to not support it in overcoming the veto. That was Patrick Connick, Louis Bernard, and Franklin Foyle. We hereby put you guys on notice. Way to go for letting down your constituents. I realize that overcoming vetoes is is a big deal, uh, that it's controversial, but hey, it's a, it's a constitutional process for a reason because sometimes governors go against what the will of the people is. And in this case, the will of the people suggests that they want a constitutional carry. Hmm. Anyway, let's go now to New Mexico. Matthew, tell us about this uh, situation in New Mexico with regards to state-run facilities and gun shows. Yeah, so basically um, it says after more than 40 years of gun shows at the Expo New Mexico at the state fairgrounds in Albuquerque, the state of New Mexico will no longer allow gun shows at state-run facilities um, Senate Bill 8 uh, is a 2019 bill that enacted sweeping gun control. This was one of, one of the uh, components of that. Um, and now, you know, you, they will not allow gun shows at any um, state, uh, you know, fairgrounds or state uh, property, which, I mean, it may not be a big deal to a lot of people, but um, obviously, you know, some of these communities that have had these gun shows and, and things for, for decades, you know, 40 years or so, it sort of becomes a tradition in, in the Western, you know, um, New Mexico, that Southwestern area, you know, it's, it's relatively uh, pro gun and, and kind of, uh, you know, ha- has people that enjoy gun ownership and, and shooting and shooting sports and things. And um, this is kind of just uh, an unfortunate component of that gun control law or bill that, that got signed into law in 2019. Yeah. I, I hate this kind of thing. You know, I mean, we, we've seen this in California, San Diego, mm-hmm. uh, you know, where it's like, Hey, these are facilities that just about anybody can come and rent and put on events. You could probably have, a porn convention and they'd probably be like, yeah, okay, whatever. But then all of a sudden one day gun shows, no, no way. No can do. Can't have state owned facilities supporting, you know, second amendment things of any sort. That's, you know, that's craziness when, Hey, it's, isn't it weird that we have a second amendment to begin with? And like government should be supportive of 
the Constitution. Mm-hmm. But whatever. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's let's follow along with uh, Rebecca Dow there, Representative Dow, and uh, again, you know, she's running for governor, so this may be noteworthy for some of you New Mexicans to. Uh, you know, want to maybe support, consider supporting her, uh, you know, as a podcast, we're not necessarily endorsing her or supporting her. I want to make sure that's clear, but, you know, it's good to know who's on what sides of the issues, especially where the second amendment is involved. Yeah. New Hampshire, final news story, a pair of pro gun measures vetoed. I think we touched on this too, not too long ago. I feel like we brought it up and, and kind of, I just feel like we had the conversation about governor Sununu. And, and noting the fact that he's not super keen on these bills. Uh, but we had Senate Bill 141 was passed, and House Bill 334 also passed. Uh, Senate Bill 141 was intended to resolve New Hampshire's longstanding problem with delays during handgun purchases by abolishing the, quote, state gun line, unquote, system that the state police currently use for handgun purchases. Instead, they wanted to push those background checks through the federal NICS database. And that the, so the issue here is that similar to how we run it in Colorado here, we have a Colorado-run background check system for gun purchases. New Hampshire does as well. New Hampshire's had delays, big-time delays. And this has become more of an issue since COVID became a thing. We've seen something similar here in Colorado. Uh, it used to be not that many years ago, like basically pre-COVID, you could walk into a gun dealer, do the background check, pay your money, walk out the door. 20 minutes later, you're good to go. But it's been a while now. I, I The last few transfers I have had to do, I've had to wait days. Wow. And that used to not not be the issue in the past. So um, Senate Bill 141 was like, hey, you know what? It's clear the state government can't keep up with things. So let's use NICS instead. And Governor Sununu vetoed that. Uh, House Bill 334, ATV carry was the nickname for this bill, uh, was intended to permit the carry of a loaded firearm on off-highway recreational vehicles or snowmobiles. This was intended to clean up the law from when permitless carry was passed and a snowmobile prohibition remained. See, that's lame. Like mm-hmm. part of the reason there's restrictions on carrying loaded guns when you're riding a, a four-wheeler or something has to go back to like ties in with some hunting regulations and things like that, that states for whatever reason felt was an issue. Uh, the, but nobody's hunting from a snowmobile. Okay, that might be an exaggeration a little bit. I suppose that exists, but like why this is an issue and why it's an issue, especially with carrying a handgun, uh, is beyond me. And why Governor Sununu of the great state of New Hampshire felt he had to veto these two pro-gun measures is also beyond me. So, whatever. Stick it to the man, New Hampshireans. What do you call New Hampshire? <laughs> New Hampshire rights. I think that's what it is. Hmm. Don't forget that your governor has failed you on numerous accounts where it comes to Second Amendment issues. And that's the stories we have for you today. Yeah. Do you have any final comments on any of that? No, I, I, I'm, I'm confused why they would, you know, why he vetoed the, the Nick's um, 
allowing the the background checks to go to the NIC system, which you know most most um, of the the legislators are saying, oh, we need the NIC system and we need back universal background checks through the NIC system. So now you have a state that passes a law that says, okay, let's put our background checks through the NIC system, and he says, oh, hold up, let's not do that. So I I don't I don't know I yep. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, buddy. Um, well, we'll just have to. I mean, that's why elections are important. Elections have consequences. We're dealing with consequences of what you know for some of you in certain states, and for many of us on the national level. Uh, you know, everything that's going on with the ATF right now. I mean, yes, the the bump stock ban happened under Trump, which was not cool, and I'm still pretty angry at him about for allowing that to be uh, pushed through the ATF. But it was clear since the beginning with President Biden being elected that there were going to be some additional initiatives that the ATF was going to push. Uh, so, guys, don't forget to get involved. Don't forget to uh, uh, open your mouths and share your your voices with the ATF, your representatives, your senators, your governors, your presidents. All right. I guess there's really just one president. <laughs> anyway, guys, we appreciate you for uh, being here and part of this episode with us today, this legislative update episode. Uh, we do, before we let you go, need to announce our weekly giveaway winner. This week, we're giving away an, a package of nine millimeter dummy ammo from Ready Up Gear. So, who's our winner this week? Drum roll. This week's winner is Mike, Mike A. Mike A. You want a pack of nine millimeter dummy rounds. Awesome. Congrats, Mike. A. A. <laughs> and next week, we're giving away a three barrel block. Great dry fire training tool. Uh, I I keep barrel blocks with me everywhere. I've got a barrel block in my backpack. I got a barrel block in my range bag. You know, I was at the Area One Championship a few weeks back doing some dry fire practice in my hotel room. And it always makes me a little bit, eh, you know, to do dry fire in a hotel room because there's not really a lot of good safe directions. Uh, but, you know, s- slip a barrel block in the barrel and I no longer, you know, worry about that so much. Because, I mean, again, we, we it's not that we then disrespect the fact that we're handling a gun uh, and it's still wise to have safe uh, gun handling. But uh, at least we know with a barrel block that we can do dry fire completely 100% safely if you know our heads are, and, and brains are switched on and it's a great product to use guys make sure you sign up for the weekly giveaway by going to concealedcarry.com forward slash podcast prize and so with that we're going to wrap this up and let you go thanks for joining us for this legislative updates episode matthew final words stay safe guys thanks for listening there you have it I, and I'll let you go with a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.